today, today I, I'm really looking forward to. This has been such a fun week for me to, uh, to look at this passage because I grew up, many of you know my dad was a, was a pastor and I grew up in this church and for years, week after week after week after week, how he would close the service was actually with this passage of Scripture. So we would, we would finish, he would be down front, he would lift his hand, everybody was standing, right? And he would just quote it. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God our Savior be glory, majesty, dominion, and power both now and forevermore. Amen. And everybody would say, amen. And then in the 11 o'clock service, they say, it's time for dinner, right? It was all good, right? And that's when we, and it's just year after year. And so uh, obviously you can know, I mean, I heard it a lot uh, because I just quoted it in the King James, right? So let's read it. Actually, and I wanted to mention to you, because I, I, sometimes people come up and ask, and it's been a while since I mentioned, I, I preach out of the New American Standard Version. So if you've got your Bible app, it's the NASB, as in boy, NASB. Uh, lots of good versions out there, uh, but I think this one is uh, maybe the best. Um, and so here's the text. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory blameless with great joy. To the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority uh, before all time and now and forever. Amen. This is a doxology. Now, by doxology, what we mean, it's a... It's a a hymn, a, a little poem. It's, it's this idea of this framework that we see in Scripture that ascribes praise to God. In fact, the word glory in the Greek is the word doxa, from which we get doxology. And what we see, and a lot of speculation, it's actually built on the, the, uh, the Hebrew idea of a benediction uh, blessed be the God, that at, in Christian, as Christianity began to grow, they would begin to use these doxologies. There's typically four pieces that are a part of it. Number one, the person being praised, which is God. Now unto him, uh, it, it speaks of God Almighty a lot of times. The word glory typically is always used, hence the idea of doxology. There's usually a time framework, the idea of forever. So you'll notice how he puts it here. I like this. Before all time and now and forever. And then finally it finishes with the term amen, which means yes, so be it. Right on. Say it again. Amen, right? Amen. Amen. And so a doxology was often used, uh, they tell us in the early churches, you know, to kind of finish as a song, a prayer, a sermon, a, now a benediction to a service. But one of the things that we, where we see it in Scripture is that they're often used as the closing of a book. So, uh, 
For instance, Romans, the book of Romans, you get to chapter 16, some of the last words, and you get this doxology. Now to him. Does that sound familiar, right? We're scribing this to God. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel, the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, which have been kept secret for long ages past, but now is manifested. And by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandments of the eternal God, has been made known to all the nations, leading to obedience of faith, to the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, be the glory, doxa, forever, right? You see those four pieces that are part of that. We also see it in what has become kind of our church life verse. The book of Ephesians, the first three chapters are theology. The last three chapters are practical, how you live it out. The theological piece ends in chapter three with these words, now to him. You get the the pattern here. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be glory, doxa, in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Philippians ends with the doxology. Uh, 1 Timothy has in those last few words a doxology. First Peter, second Peter. It's very common in scripture. This one though in Jude is probably the best well known. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory blameless with great joy. Beautiful words. But as I got into it, there was an interesting question that I had never really stopped to consider. And that is when he talks about he is able to keep you from stumbling, he's able to present you blameless in his presence with great joy, is he referencing our standing in Christ, our position in Christ, or is he referencing our practice or our potential of what we can do as we walk with Jesus? Maybe a different way to ask the question. Is he talking about the security of salvation or is he talking about the process of sanctification? And when you look at it, it really can go either way because both of them are true. We stand secure, right? In Christ, because my sins have been washed away, I have been wrapped in the righteousness of Christ that today, you know, I belong to him. I can't fall away, right? I can't, but why? Because I belong. I've been born to the family. I stand blameless today before Christ because he has washed my sins away and given me his righteousness. That's true. But it's also true that we have the opportunity to lean into Jesus and and to, as we do that, he promised he will never let our foot slip, right? That we can live blameless in this life, in this world. Not perfect, but blameless. And so which one does he mean? And the reality is, though they're both true, Jude... I would imagine specifically had one of the two in mind. So let's dive into this. Let's talk about what does it mean that when we talk about our salvation, our position in Christ, that we are holy and blameless. 
you think of the, one of the ways, of course, you get to what did the author mean is look at the context. So part of the context of this book, the book of Jude, is coming judgment. Correct? Remember back in verses 5 to 7, he gives us three examples of coming judgment that the false teachers were going to deal with. You look at, what is it, verse uh, 14 and 15. In fact, he gives the prophecy of Enoch in verse 15 to execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of all their ungodly deeds. Coming judgment. And when you think about the idea of coming judgment, to understand that you and I don't have to fear that, right? We don't have to worry. We know Jesus. We don't have to worry about stumbling and falling away. We don't have to worry about how we're going to stand in that day because we don't stand in our own righteousness. We stand in the righteousness of Christ. And so, therefore, we stand blameless. Isn't that a wonderful thought? That today you and I, because we know Jesus, stand before the Father in that judicial sense as blameless before him because we stand in the righteousness of Christ. Ephesians 1, 4 puts it like this. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. That is our standing. If you know Jesus, you have been saved. That is your you're standing before God. You stand holy and righteous and blameless before him. He puts it like this in 1 Corinthians 1.8, who will also confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I would remind you that the church there at Corinth was not like this great example of holy living, Right? In fact, Paul says, I couldn't even talk to you as those who are mature because you're immature, you're fleshly. Remember, they were the ones that were celebrating the guy in the church as having an incestuous relationship with his stepmother. They're not, not wholly necessarily in the practical living, but in their position. He says that you are blameless in that day of Jesus Christ. Colossians 1 and 22 puts it so beautifully. Yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. This is our standing. This is who we are in Christ. And so you can kind of think through the context. Hey, in this world where these false teachers and they're leading people astray and judgment is going to come, you and I don't have to worry. We are in Christ. We stand firm. We have been washed clean. We stand blameless. Can anybody shout hallelujah, right? Isn't that awesome? That today I don't have to fear standing before God because I stand holy and blameless before him. That's our position. But... He could also be referencing this idea of our sanctification. That he's not so much looking at who we are in Christ from a positional standpoint, but as we lean into Jesus, what Jesus is able to do with us. Now again, let's think context. 
The context of this entire book was there's all these false teachers. And so what he is calling us to do is to earnestly contend for the faith. This is how you live it out. This is how you go about to stand for truth. In fact, in the immediate context, we looked at last week, verse 20 and 21. But you, beloved, this is what you need to do. Building yourself up in your most holy faith. Praying in the Holy Spirit. Keeping yourself in the love of God. We talked about how that's walking in obedience. Lastly, keeping focus on eternal things. Looking for that day. Set your affection on things above. This is what you and I are to do. This is how we are to stand strong in the midst of of false teaching. So that we don't get led this way or that way. But that we follow after Jesus. We lean into him. We build ourselves up through his word. We pray. We build our relationship with Christ. We walk in obedience to what he's called us to do. We focus our eyes on that day that we will stand before him. And then you even look at the context of verse 22 and 23. And have mercy on some who are doubting, save others, snatching some from the fire. On others have mercy with fear, but hating even the garment. This whole idea that in the midst of this, that we are to be reaching those who have been deceived by the false teaching. This is how we are to live. And so what possibly Jude means here, so now unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling, is that as you are leaning into Jesus, as you are building yourself up in your most holy faith, as you are praying, as you are seeking him, as you're walking in obedience to him, you're setting your mind. What Jesus is going to do is he's going to keep you on the straight path. He's not going to allow you to turn to the left or to the right. Again, that uh, Psalms 121, one of my favorite songs, which we may possibly maybe hit in our psalm series. Psalm 121, that we look to him for our help. He will not allow your foot to slip. Why? Because you're leaning into Jesus. And notice he says, and to make you stand in the presence of his glory blameless. Now that's what sometimes people throw, that throws them out, but blameless. How, you know, we're never... You know, none of us are sinless. Well, he doesn't say sinless. He says blameless. And the reality is, the scripture tells us that you and I can live in such a way that, again, we're not living sinless in this world, but we are living blameless as we represent Christ. You go back to Philippians chapter 1. He's talking about let your love for one another grow. Let it let it. Uh, abound, right? That's something we have to do. And then he says this, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and what? Blameless. That you and I, as we do what he tells us to do, we love one another and, and our love is abounding that we can live in a way that is blameless. He says it again in chapter two. This time he's talking about don't grumble. Don't, don't, don't murmur, don't, don't speak against people, so that, why? You will prove yourselves to be what? Blameless and innocent, children of God, above reproach. You see, this is the sanctification side of it. In 2 Peter, Peter says this, Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent, right? This is you, be diligent, lean into Jesus, to be found by him in peace, 
spotless and what? Blameless. Could it be that what Jude is trying to say here, now unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling, that as you and I lean into Jesus, we build ourselves up in the most holy faith. We, we build our relationship with him as we pray in the Holy Spirit. We walk in obedience, keeping ourselves in love as we walk in obedience to his word. As we live for that day, what God now does in us is he causes us to walk so that we don't turn to the left or to the right, so that we do not stumble And that on that day as we stand in his presence, we hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. We walk, we walk in a way that we will stand on that day with joy. Remember, we talked about this two weeks ago when we talked about judgment, right? There's the judgment of the great white throne, which every person who doesn't know Jesus will stand before they'll be judged according to works they're going to be cast in a lake of fire those of us who know jesus don't have to worry about that right that's that's been taken care of our sin has been washed away we have been placed in christ but we too will stand in judgment not about heaven and hell but about reward we must all appear before the judgment seat of christ so that each one of us believers may be recompensed for his deeds in his body according to what is done, whether it's good or bad. And we talked about on that day as a Christian, I won't stand and give an account for my sins because my sins have been washed away. But what I will give an account for is my life. Did I follow after Christ? And if I allowed sin in my life and it caused me to walk away from him, to not walk in obedience, to not give my life to the things that are important, that will have effect on that day. Could it be that this is exactly what Jude is talking about when he says, listen, Build yourself up in your most holy faith. Pray in the Spirit. Walk in the love of Christ. Walk in obedience to His word. Fix your eyes on that day. Live for that day when we will see Jesus. Live in ministry. Man, reach out to those who are being deceived by the, by the false teaching. Uh, snatch some as though by fire who have, are, are hearing the wrong message and they're not even people of faith. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling. So the question is, which one is accurate? Is he referencing our position or is he referencing our sanctification? And I want to say two things. Number one, as much as it intrigues me, it's probably not that important of of an answer for the reason I'm going to give you in just a moment. But to me, it was interesting. If, you know, I'll be honest with you, all my years when I heard my dad talk about now unto him is able to keep you from falling, I, I, I thought we were talking position. The more I studied it, the more I've looked at it this week, the more I think, no, I really think that probably Jude is, is talking about that idea of what God can do in my life today. But the reality is the focus is really not on me. And it's not on my so much my security and my sanctification. The focus is on God, right? The doxology. Now to him 
who is able to keep you from falling. Him who is his glory that we will stand in. It's the God who is able. The focus of the, of the doxology is God. It's not me. It's not you. It's on him. It's what God, God's the able one. It's not me. But God is the able one who is able to keep you from stumbling, who is able to keep you from falling, to do the work. And, and if you've never done this study, and maybe some of you have just never done the study like this, so here would be a really fun one for you, is uh, get a Bible app, they're really simple, they're free. Go through the New Testament and search for the word is able and look to Look at everyone that references God. It's such a cool study. So I was, uh, I was pretty quick, fresh out of uh, Bible college. I was the youth pastor of the church, and I got one of my first big opportunities to preach, and it was great. And you got to understand, my life, I was, I, I, man, I was single. I was single as a one-dollar bill, and uh, I. I God had just, and I think it was probably out of that Ephesians 3 passage, but I'd really been taken with this idea, the God who is able. And I started looking at some of them. And uh, let me just share a couple of them. To me, they're, they're just so neat. Matthew chapter 3, Jesus talking to the Pharisees, and of course, they're putting pride in who they are. And Jesus said, do not suppose that you can say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that from these stones, God is able to raise up children to Abraham. Actually, it's John the Baptist who was telling them that, by the way. God is able to raise up stones. And I can remember, I used it as a little bit of an illustration because, again, I was single as a $1 bill. I said, hey, if you come into my office and you see little rocks sitting on my desk, you know, it's because God is able, right? God is able to raise up someone to come and, and to be my wife. So if you're single, man, get a rock. Just understand God is able, right? God is able to bring the right person in your life. And, and that's, he's able. He's able. I love the one in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and God is able to make all grace. What a beautiful word. God is able to make all grace. No matter what you're going through today, no matter what you're going to face tomorrow, God is able to make all the grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good work. There's not a thing in your life you're going to face that God is not able to bring the grace, the wisdom, the strength, the peace, to get you through. He is the God who is able. That scripture that we use is our life verse here at Desert Springs. Now unto him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that you ask or think. And I think back to those early days 26 years ago and, and we look at what God has done and he has certainly done that. And today is, you know, we, we, introduced the impact project just three months ago and already three million dollars either in cash or in pledges has come in and how awesome that is and, and yet we're, we're continuing to believe for the, even that next step and and being able to do that next phase of it god is able god can provide god can walk you through and then here's one that also means a lot to me it's in second timothy Paul says this, for this reason I also suffer these things, but I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I believed, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day. You know, when you walk with Jesus, 
and you do what he calls you to do. You disciple people. There are, there are things that you do in ministry that sometimes get lost, sometimes aren't appreciated. There are people that you will invest in that don't turn out the way you were hoping. It's discouraging. A couple chapters later, Paul in this little book is going to remind us of Demas, one of those ones he's invested in. And oh, by the way, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. And so easy for us to get our eyes on what we consider success and to accept to understand from God's perspective that it's not those results that really matter. It was our faithfulness. And Paul says, I'm convinced that he is able to keep what I've committed to him. He's known my heart. He's know how I've served him. And, and even though, you know, it hasn't all turned out the way I thought, God is able Folk, we have a God that is able, and the reason that he is able, and I love this, he's able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in his presence of his glory blameless with great joy. And the reason he's able is verse 25, to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority. He is the God of all glory. He is the God of all majesty, dominion. By glory, we mean his his majestic presence, that which is his, is weighty, that when people are brought into it, they, they have to fall down on their face. His majesty is his kingly status, that he is Lord over all. His dominion is his power to control. His authority is the fact that he has the intrinsic right to be in charge because he created all things. He is the God who is able because he is God, right? All glory belongs to him. All majesty belongs to him. All authority belongs to him. All dominion, all power, it all belongs to him. Therefore, he is able. He is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless in the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. I love that last expression. Before all time and now and forever. See, he's a God that transcends time. Let's be honest. Don't we sometimes get overwhelmed with life today? Uh, lots of stuff to do. Lots of busyness. Sometimes the stress that it brings to our life of getting everything done, getting the bills paid, getting the kids taken care of, getting ahead at work, getting projects completed, it can become overwhelming. And at other times we get overwhelmed with the regret of the past, right? Stuff that we didn't do so well, stuff that we wish we had over. And for a lot of people, what becomes overwhelming is the fear of the future. And to be honest with you, I, I think in Bible-believing church circles, there's a lot of that right now because our culture is changing so much around us and we're fearful of tomorrow. We're fearful of what our kids are going to have to face. We're fearful of what our grandkids are going to have to face. We see it disintegrating, this thing that we've always held so, so precious in the freedoms that we have in our country. And there's fear tomorrow. But, folk, can I remind you 
that the God who is able transcends time. He's never stressed about today. He never regrets yesterday. And he's certainly not fearful for tomorrow because he lives outside of time. He created it all. He was God yesterday. He is God today. He will be God tomorrow. All glory, all majesty, all dominion, all authority, it all belongs to him yesterday, today, and tomorrow. We can rest in that. That's why he is the God who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before his presence with great joy. He is the God who is able. I want to finish with that one phrase I kind of skipped over, but it's so good. Verse 25, to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord. Just what, what a great reminder in the midst of this doxology. To how we access God, how we know him, how we know him to be the God who is able is through Jesus, right? The Bible tells us there is one, one one mediator between God and man. And it's not me, and it's not you. It's the Lord Jesus. Jesus came as the Son of God, and he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And folk, if you're here today, or you're watching online, and you've not come to put your faith in Jesus, you cannot access relationship with God apart from Jesus Christ. It is just simply impossible. Because he is the only access. The great thing is, is that you can know him through faith. If you will put your trust in him and you will come to that point where you no longer trust in yourself, but what he did for you when he died for you, he'll give you eternal life. And oh, by the way, for those of us that know him, right? How do we access relationship with God? Through Jesus, right? So we build ourselves up in the most holy faith. Why? To grow in knowledge? No. We come to the Word to meet Jesus. We pray in the Spirit. Why? To meet Jesus, have relationship with Him. We, we walk in obedience to what He's told us to do, to keep ourselves in the love of God, to follow Jesus with our whole heart. We look forward. We fix our minds. that The day we live for is the day that we're going to see Jesus. This is how we access him. It is through Jesus. And so Jude comes to the end of this book. And the beauty of all that he's told, we've got to contend for the faith. And here's these false teachers, and they're ungodly, and they're going to be judged. But you and I have the opportunity to, to stand strong and to stand firm as we as we build ourselves up in our most holy faith, as we pray in the Spirit, as we uh, stay in the love of Christ who walk in, in obedience, as we fix our eyes on eternal things. But then he reminds us, uh, as we do that, what, what are we doing? We're leaning into Jesus, him who is able. Him who is able. 